at working in a workplace, I would really encourage people just to find ways to weave happiness through your day. One easy way to do that is to find gratitude as a daily practice. Uh, You don't have to do 30 minutes of gratitude journaling to have this be effective. We know that just two or three minutes every day of being grateful is incredibly powerful. And it's even more powerful if you include other people in that practice. So saying thank you to the people around you, whether it's the person who served you your coffee or your tea, or your janitor, or the person on the street that held the door for you, or more impactful moments like help on a big project, but actually take the time to reach out to those people and say thank you to them and tell them why. You know, thank you so much, you made my job easier. I like doing this when I start my day, start my day off with gratitude. And then when I'm closing things up, I like to spend just a few minutes also practicing gratitude. Welcome friends to The Entrepreneur Speaks. I'm your host, Kofi Anumedu. Each week, I host an amazing entrepreneur on their journey, successes, and challenges. It is my hope that we'll learn from their experiences as we all work towards living a life of passion and purpose. My guest, Sarah Ratikin, is the Chief Happiness Officer at a global corporation. She's also the owner of Happiness is Courage Incorporated. She's a radical positivity activist and believes we can change the world for the better by doing positive, grateful, and kind things. She shares her journey today on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. Welcome to my show, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here, Kofi. Thank you so much. Let's kick things off by telling us a bit more about yourself and how your childhood was like. (laughs) So I grew up on a small farm in the northern part of the United States. Uh, My family was quite poor by local standards. Uh, I had a number of brothers, there are five boys in my family, and I was the only girl. So I learned early on that happiness was certainly going to be in my own hands and not the people around me. Mm. You talk a lot about happiness, so there will be a lot of questions I'll be asking on happiness. I realize you are the chief happiness officer. Tell us about this role. So a chief happiness officer is a role that is really designed to implement the science behind happiness in the workplace, not just the uh, feel-good, emotional, party planner image, but truly understanding the data and the science of what creates environments that allows employees to find happiness in their work. So in my role, I do a lot of conversations with individuals, understanding what truly motivates them, which is not usually what their organization thinks should motivate them, and then helping both the individual employees as well as the teams or the companies find reasonable methods, initiatives, programs that help the people connect on some level to the work that they're doing. Very interesting. We'll visit this subject matter later in this conversation. Now let's talk a bit about Happiness is Courage Incorporated. Can you please tell us the story behind this setup? 
So I was working predominantly for an organization as an internal employee focused on employee resilience and trust and cultural challenges within the company. But what I realized was many, most actually, most companies struggle with these same questions. And I felt that there was a greater need, uh, certainly here in America, but it's not limited to here. Many organizations around the world are really grappling with the challenges of understanding why their people are experiencing such high levels of stress and why burnout is such a catastrophic problem for so many people around the world. And I just felt that having the skills and the knowledge and the willingness to do the work, I had I had to do this. I had to start a company and reach out to organizations around around the globe and start these conversations because this issue of people being not happy, it's literally killing people. Um, and it's also creating, honestly, uh, less productivity. So companies are suffering both morally from the lack of happiness in the workplace, but truthfully, they're leaving money on the table when they don't have a conversation around this topic. So what exactly do you do? What services do you offer? Well, in the last year, I have almost exclusively offered stress management workshops for individuals, for for teams and individuals, because let's be honest, the world has been pretty stressful, uh, more so than people had expected. But I also do work around workplace culture. So companies who want to shift their culture in a more healthy direction. I do uh, meeting facilitation skills, helping people learn better ways of working together. I also do quite a bit of work around personal resilience in the workplace um, and communication style and emotional intelligence workshops. These are all, we call them the soft skills, but I would say they are some of the hardest ones to learn and the most crucial ones for true success. You've talked a lot about happiness, but how important is it for us to embed happiness into our businesses? I would say it's the difference between success and failure. So traditionally, corporations, companies have felt that the way to ensure loyalty and the way to ensure that people perform at their best levels is simply to pay them money. Now, I'm speaking of American companies predominantly here. Uh, European companies have some of the same challenges. And I'm sure companies in your part of the world also have these conversations. But we know that the science tells us that there are two facets of work that make people feel excited to be doing the work that they're doing. Uh, One of those is understanding how the work that they do has value to the organization or to their community. And the other is the quality of the relationships that people have. Now, I want to caution people that I don't believe that happiness in and of itself should be the goal because happiness is an emotion. It's one of many emotions that we experience and our emotions exist really as indicators of what's going on around us. So when I talk about happiness, what I'm really saying is that happiness should be a measuring stick that you use to say, how am I doing in this moment? Do I feel happy? Do I not feel happy? And your answer to that question is going to tell you what you need to do to to adjust the environment around you. If you're feeling good right now, if you're feeling positive, then you probably have created a space that is supporting your values, your mission, your goals. If you're not, then there's certainly something that needs to be addressed. And that differs for every person in every company. 
But when we don't address this topic, when companies don't pay attention to the happiness of their employees, what really happens is employee job satisfaction goes down, people's performance suffers radically, and we know that turnover is a massive cost for companies. Even in environments where jobs are at a premium, people will either leave a job that they really don't like, or they will stay and collect a paycheck, but not do enough work to make it worthwhile. So for company, we uh, globally, the current engagement rate sits at about 80% of employees don't like their job. They're not engaged with their job. That's a huge percentage of people in companies who are not performing at their peak level. And that's a large amount of money that organizations are spending that's not gaining the results that they really need. So just from a purely financial perspective, happiness in the workplace is a key way to recoup some of that investment, to get a return on that investment of salaries. And then, of course, the effect goes on to, uh, to impact your brand image. The, you know, Can you attract good talent? Well, if you have a positive workplace environment, you're more likely to attract top talent than if you are known as a place where people dread coming into the office. So how do we solve this? How do we embed happiness into our businesses? How do we go about doing this? Well, first of all, we need to look at employees as actual people. Uh, too often, too often, our employees are seen uh, in terms that dehumanize them. I mean, the fact that the term human capital even exists in business language tells us that organizations don't really see their people as humans. They see them as numbers on a ledger sheet. So the first thing is organizationally, companies need to shift their perspective to be more human-centric. Even highly automated companies have people on their payroll and they should treat them as such. Another thing that I think is instrumental in this process is helping employees connect um, as as individuals. So much of our work is transactional. I do this job and it, it impacts your job in this way. And those that's the bulk of our conversation is the transactional part of it. If I'm an accountant and I need your receipts to process, we don't, I don't ask, how is your family? How is this, the soccer game that you watched this weekend? We don't connect at that human level. So embedding those practices into the way that we work will go a really long way to connecting people at a deeper level. And that's where trust is actually formed. Uh, we know that many employees don't feel a sense of trust towards their employer or towards the people that they work with. So let's have those conversations. It's a little messy at first, but the payoff is really worth it. Mm, very, very interesting. I listened to you, I read some of your articles and I came across <laughs> the statement that I'll need a little bit of clarification on. Mm? When you say happiness is courage, what exactly do you mean? So traditionally, when we think of bravery, it tends to be wrapped around a concept of uh, overcoming fear. Um, and it's a emotionally, it's a very adrenaline charged space. People are brave in the face of danger. They have courage in the face of great risk. And that's true. 
Uh, coming from a place of those emotions is certainly adrenaline fueled. It can give us the physical and emotional strength to deal with significant challenges. You know, you see the stories of a parent who moves a vehicle off of their child or somebody who runs into a burning building to save somebody. That's that's true. The challenge with that is those experiences are incredibly traumatic for individuals and they also tend to be incredibly short lived. So from a business perspective, if we're looking at finding the courage to make the hard decisions, to have difficult conversations, to try new things, because we know that businesses have to grow in order to survive in today's economy, that all also takes courage. And I believe that happiness is actually a wellspring of the emotional strength that allows us to address those more sustained challenges in a way that is sustainable. Uh, we don't need people running on adrenaline headaches and cortisol because those emotions actually decrease our ability to make good decisions. When people are highly stressed, you can do um, some amazing work, but it's not your best intellectual work. Your, your brain literally shuts off part of the executive function. So when we're talking about business leadership, I certainly want to see business leaders making the best decisions, the most informed decisions, not knee-jerk instinctive ones. And so I look at happiness as a mechanism by which people can fuel themselves for the long haul in their businesses. And that's why I say happiness is courage. Happiness is courage. Thank you so much for that. Your submission <laughs> Yes, in your submission, you talked about stress, workplace stress. Can you help us on ways we can use to combat workplace stress? So it really depends on the kind of stress you're dealing with, but there are a couple of tried and true methods that work for just about everybody, just about every time. So one of the ways I recommend people start when they recognize that stress is impacting them at work is to breathe. And that sounds so strange to some people. They say, well, I'm already breathing. And yes, you probably are breathing. But we know that people who are in stress tend to breathe more shallowly. They tend to breathe more rapidly. They don't exhale fully. So actually, they're just doing sort of the bare minimum necessary to keep themselves alive. But we're not talking about survival. We're talking about thriving and being successful. So when you find yourself in that place of stress, take three good, deep breaths. Um, the, the research on breath work is powerful and undeniable. We know that individuals who do just three deep breaths in through the nose deeply, out through the mouth and, and empty the lungs completely, this has an immediate impact on the stress chemicals in our body and even our physical body language. You'll notice some, somebody will relax. They will seem less tense, less angry when they do this. So breathing is one tool. And there are, there are literally thousands of resources that are available on the internet, in books. Uh, I'm happy to provide people resources if they want them on different types of breathing exercises. But at their core, they're just talking about giving yourself the air that you need, the oxygen that you need to fuel your body appropriately. So breathing is a great tool. Another excellent tool in business and in life, honestly, to deal with stress is learning how to reframe situations. Now, here's where we get into trouble, because a lot of people accuse 
positivity people like myself of wanting the world to be all happiness and smiles. And I'm not suggesting that we should pretend that difficult situations don't exist or that we should minimize the challenges that we're facing. Sometimes we face really significant hardship and that's real. And pretending that it's not actually just adds layers of messiness onto the conversation. But by reframing, what we're doing is acknowledging that every situation is complex and every situation offers us an opportunity for something beneficial. Maybe it's a lesson we can learn. Maybe it is something that we would, we're overlooking because we're so deeply focused on the negative parts of what's going on. Maybe it is simply something silly in the moment that we are not willing to look at because we're so we're so convinced that everything about the situation is is ugly and horrible. So we can reframe just about every conversation, um, even something as simple as being late to a meeting, right? We can practice rather than focusing on the negative and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I was late, you know, making excuses for that. We can say, thank you so much for your patience. And we create in that moment a story that puts us together as collaborating, uh, cooperating with the people around us versus being in a conflict with the people around us. And this is true for situations involving other people, but it's also true for situations involving natural disasters, stock market crashes, um, difficult coworkers. We can always find a way to frame the situation, to take some of the friction out of it and put it, put it in a more positive light. Mm, very interesting. Thank you for sharing these with us. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's go back to your your journey, your journey of running your company. What indeed <laughs> are some of the challenges you've encountered so far in running your business? Well, as a chief happiness officer, one of the challenges that I face, honestly, is convincing businesses that this conversation is important. Um, Traditionally, we see success framed as an angry person standing with their arms crossed, being very serious about their work. And when I talk about something that has been framed as uh, fairy dust or silliness or lighthearted, not serious work, um, people get a little uncomfortable. So one of the challenges I've had is explaining why this conversation matters. Now, I've shared, obviously, some of the information with you so far, but things like the trillions of dollars being lost to the economy every year because of disengagement and stress. I mean, these are real numbers. This isn't just Sarah wanting the world to be happy and share a Coke, right? This is more around how can we be more effective and efficient and wiser stewards of our resources. But that's been a conversation and it's certainly been a journey that has uh, matured over time. At first, I I was convinced that everybody would just see the service that I was offering and say, of course we need that. That sounds wonderful. And that's not at all the reception I received. So I had to dig a little deeper and have some more focused conversations and understand what the pain points were for the organizations I was speaking with. Um, It's not always successful. I had a conversation recently with somebody who told me that he really felt that his people's happiness was their own business, not his, and it wasn't anything he needed to concern himself with. So it's it's certainly a journey that is still in progress. But I think as we see um, more people having conversations around different ways of approaching these issues of stress and engagement and misery in, in the world and in the workplace 
we know that what we've been doing isn't working. So really out of desperation, I think people are willing to have conversations about new ideas. They're certainly not comfortable with them, but that's okay. We're never comfortable with change. So I'm, I'm happy to be there to shepherd them through and provide um, data on how and why this works. And I think that goes a long way. Having something people can can hang on to that that's logical and makes sense to them is super important in that process. So just as there's been a lot of challenges, I believe there's also been a lot of lessons you've picked up along this journey. Can you please share some of these lessons with us? I, I would love to. Uh, one lesson I have learned, and I think I always knew this, but one lesson is explaining to people that when you're talking about changing a, a perception of something, you can't just come in with a pamphlet or a workshop or expect a uh, one-hour program to completely solve all of the problems an organization has. So... And that's true for all service providers, but even products. I know there's um, marketing would have us believe that if you buy this toothpaste or that coffee or or that car, all of your problems will disappear. And that's not real. So one lesson is to reasonably set expectations for what's really involved and to get clear, uh, to get some really good clarity on what, it, what problem is the organization trying to solve with the service or product that I'm offering? Uh, I've had so many people come to me and they want to bring in a one-hour workshop and their, their company is dealing with really toxic situations. You know, a person who is causing incredible friction in the organization or uh, an environment that is creating tremendous amounts of stress. I cannot fix the world with a one-hour stress workshop. I can give your people some tools but at the end of the day, they have to use those tools. And more importantly, the company has to be willing to commit to seeing the changes through. And this is key for anything that's a software rollout or a product implementation. You can't just flip the switch and think it's going to solve all your problems. You have to commit to all of the steps, the entire change cycle, or you're really just wasting your money. And I don't mind collecting a paycheck, but I want it to actually have some benefit for the people that I'm working with. So having an opportunity to really dig in and have good conversation about what's expected. I mean, I've turned clients down because they wanted to just um, bring me in, have a workshop, and they felt that checked a box on fixing their culture, but it wasn't going to. And I'm not willing to contribute to a band-aid solution that's only going to make the situation worse for the people involved. That violates my own values. And I think that's the other lesson that I would like to share with your listeners is understand as an individual and as an entrepreneur or business owner, what are the values that you find non-negotiable? What are your core values? Because if you don't know those, it gets really hard to assess those um, opportunities that come up and find the ones that will align with your values and avoid the ones that are going to come into conflict with them. Some people, it's just not worth it. You have to know that you know it may look attractive. It's a nice big paycheck, but what's the damage that's going to be done if you engage in that space? I think that's a really important and necessary step in success. Thank you so much. So Sarah, tell me, where do you draw your inspiration from? Where do you draw that motivation to do what you're doing? 
Uh, so I spent many, many years in corporate environments that were incredibly unhappy. Um, and I watched, for example, I watched my father, who is a retired behavioral psychologist. He had a heart attack when he was 45. Now, fortunately, he's still with us, but he's not alone in that. Um, and so I kept seeing this happen. And I knew that I could do something about this, both for myself. I don't want to have a heart attack at, my, at the office, uh, but also the people around me. I could make the world happier, not just for myself, but for also my children as they enter the workforce. Can we create spaces that are healthier? That keeps me going. That's definitely inspirational for me. And honestly, I love seeing the growing body of knowledge around this topic. We are finally getting some really good research that gives us better clarity and information around what actually works in this space. What? How does the human brain work? How do individual dynamics impact the conversation? Uh, I'm certainly a super nerd. I like to read those research studies, but I love, and I love seeing this conversation in different cultural contexts because what works in America is not going to be the same thing that will work in Saudi Arabia or in India or Australia. We have to understand the cultural nuances. And so seeing people have that awareness and the research that's done to address those nuances, I just think that's fascinating. And it's all designed to make the world better. Um, because the truth is, honestly, I'm not terribly concerned about organizations making more money. I know that they will when their people are happier. And so I expect that process to play itself through. But what gets me excited is the prospect that we can actually actively, intentionally change these spaces for the better and everybody wins. And I just, I love that. Mm. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. We, we are currently confronted with this deadly pandemic, this deadly COVID-19 pandemic. Um, has it had any effect on your operations and how are you managing during this period? So, yes, it has had an effect on my operations. Uh, honestly, I'm grateful that I already was working in virtual spaces before this happened. Um when I was working for the large corporation, we were a global corporation, so we were already doing teleconferencing, so people were somewhat familiar with that concept. What has really been a challenge, though, is that predominantly where I would access my customers would be going to conferences. And as you're aware, conferences, um, many, many of, many of them just disappeared because of the challenges of the logistics in the most of last year. Or they've changed format, and so we don't have the mix and mingle happy hours. And the, or that we do now. We're starting to see those reemerge in new ways. But for about a year now, we've had very little access to that. So I've had to get creative in my outreach to find ways to initiate these conversations. Uh, I don't mind learning new things, but that was a bit of a steep learning curve. But I think. The upside to, to the COVID-19 situation, because again, we're going to reframe a little bit here, is that people became more comfortable with virtual conversations. So I was able to reach companies all over the world and people all over the world. Um, and that that's opened up opportunities that certainly were a little more, a little scarcer, I think, in previous years. And people are willing to engage in conversations about well-being because well, let's face it, last year, everybody I know was incredibly stressed out, and that included workplace stress. So 
Whereas before, companies could kind of pretend that it wasn't their problem, last year that problem smacked them right in the face and they had to deal with it. Um, I wish that it didn't take something of the magnitude of a global pandemic to force this conversation, but I'm grateful that we are able to now have these conversations. And I, and I think we're also going to see some more flexibility in working environments and approaches to how work gets done and how teams are built, because we've had to. So again, uh, I also think we've seen a recognition that trust is a little shaky or a lot shaky in a lot of organizations. And we know that that is, that's not sustainable. So corporations are finding ways, wanting to find ways to have those uncomfortable conversations and move to a better place. And it's out of necessity, but that's okay. At least we're having the conversations and not just sweeping everything under the rug and pretending it doesn't exist. So I would say there have been some technical challenges from COVID and obviously there's been some additional stress from, from the pandemic, but I think that the benefits will outweigh the negatives over the long term, honestly, as far as cultural changes go. Thank you so much. We're just about wrapping up our conversation for today. What will be your last words or pieces of advice for my listeners? So I think when you're looking at working in a workplace, I would really encourage people just to find ways to weave happiness through your day. One easy way to do that is to find gratitude as a daily practice. You don't have to do 30 minutes of gratitude journaling to have this be effective. We know that just two or three minutes every day of being grateful is incredibly powerful. And it's even more powerful if you include other people in that practice. So saying thank you to the people around you, whether it's the person who served you your coffee or your tea or your janitor or the person on the street that held the door for you or more impactful moments like help on a big project, but actually take the time to reach out to those people and say thank you to them and tell them why. You know, thank you so much. You made my job easier. Uh, I like doing this when I start my day, start my day off with gratitude. And then when I'm closing things up, I like to spend just a few minutes also practicing gratitude. It actually changes the way our brain sees the world around us in a really positive way and gives us that little extra boost of energy to get going the next day in a much more powerful way. So be grateful. Be grateful. Those are her words. Be grateful. Thank you so much, Sarah Ratakin, for sharing your rich experiences with us today on the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. I wish you the very best. And same to you, Kofi. Thank you so much for the time. This has been another exciting episode of the Entrepreneur Speaks podcast. I'll come your way next time with another exciting episode. I remain your host, Kofi Animedu. Stay safe and let's continue to keep up our life. Cheers.